Welcome to Restoration Church. This is exciting. I'm glad you're here. Uh, like I said, my name is Pastor Kevin. If I haven't had the chance to meet you, I hope I get the chance today. Uh, catch me after service. Introduce yourself. would love to be able to, to connect with you. Uh, we are in a sermon series that we've called The God Questions. We've been trying to deal with questions that you and I would have or that people would have about God. These are questions that in the course of our life, many people will ask these exact kind of questions. We've, we've dealt with questions like, you know, is Jesus really the Son of God? We dealt with the question, is, is God even real? Uh, we've dealt with, can I trust the Bible? Uh, uh, today we have a great question of, can I really change my life? Is it really, can I really change? You know, because so many times people come to church, and, and when they come to God, it's because they realize, you know, I'm kind of broken. I kind of got these issues. And so today we're going to deal with the question of, can I really change my life? And next week, we're going to finish the sermon series, and we've got a great question. The question we'll be dealing with next week is, does God really hate gays? And so this is really, uh, really going to be an interesting subject next week. So I invite you to come back and hear that one. Uh, but today, today, we're going to deal with this question of, can I really change? You know, if we were to, to go through and we were to ask, this is, good, this is a common question. People want to know, can I really change? You know, what would you change if you had the opportunity? What would you change if you had the opportunity to change? Would you change uh, uh, an attitude? Would you have a, do you have a habit that you would like to, to break and change? Would you change the way that you look? Would you want to change a weakness that you have? You know, we, we go through all sorts of lengths to try and change ourselves. There are seminars that you can go to on how you can change. There are tapes that you can buy and my mom actually used to use these tapes, and she would listen to them, hoping that they would change her. You can go to a bookstore, and, and every bookstore has a considerable section of self, self-help books. And there are books that we read to try and change ourselves. Now, there are really some of, uh, let me tell you some of these titles of some of the self-help books that are out there. All right. This would be one for my brother-in-law. Things I've learned from the women who dumped me. That is really a self-help book. Things I've learned from the women who dumped me. Sorry, Dana. There's, there's another one that, said that, that, that the title is Faking It. How to seem like you're a better person without really changing. So these are the self-help books that are out there. Of, of people will go and they'll want to read these and say, how can I change myself? And, and the thing is, uh, why, we do everything we can to see change. We would do everything that we can to bring about a change in our lives. But the issue is so many times when we try these, we try to listen to these tapes and we pick up these books and we read these books. And we may see a little bit of change for a little bit, of, for a little while. But eventually it wears off. Eventually it wears off and we go back and, and it's like nothing lasts. You know, we change for a little while, but, but nothing really lasts. And why is that? Well, I think the issue is, it's because we focus on our externals. We focus on, on external actions. We focus on things that we don't like, the things that we do, the things that we say, the, the way that we look. And, and we focus on an external rather than focusing on the internal. We, we, we look at our behaviors and our actions. But you see, God tells us that we need to not look necessarily on our externals, but we need to look on the internal. We need to look on the inside. Because lasting change isn't just changing a behavior. You know, if we want to experience lasting change, it's not just changing a behavior. We have to have God change us on the inside. Matthew 15 says that from the heart 
comes evil thoughts and murder and adultery and sexual immorality and theft and false witness and slander and all these bad things that come out of our life. It comes out of our heart. It comes from the inside. It's not an outward action. It comes and begins inside of us. So we can't just change our behavior. We have to be changed from the inside out. The only way we can do that is with God's help. So this morning, we're going to look at a story in the life of a guy named Jacob. Jacob is found in the Old Testament in Genesis chapter 32. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 32 today if you have a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, you need a Bible. If you just put your hand up, we've got an usher in the back. Um, uh, Mike, who was at Terror on the Ave last night, in case he got scared and saw him. Uh, We're going to be in Genesis chapter 32 today. And this is a great story. This is a great story, the story of Jacob. And Jacob is going to come into a wrestling match with God. This is a, uh, this is a great story. It is filled with, with symbolism and filled with principles that apply to us when we look at this question of how can I change or can I really change? And so we're going to look and we're going to see that, that, that this was a turning point in Jacob's life. This wrestling match with God was a turning point in Jacob's life. And he would never be the same after this moment, after this wrestling match. God changed him, and he was never the same. He experienced a complete change, so much so, so much of a change that his name was even changed to Israel. And the nation of Israel that we all know was named after this guy. But before we can appreciate this story, we need to understand a little bit about Jacob's background. We need to understand about who Jacob is. You know, the reality is, you know, Jacob's one of the guys that I used to read my Bible and I used to get angry because Jacob is a jerk. Jacob is really a jerk. His whole life, as you read through his story, he was a cheat. He was a shrewd man who manipulated things and was dishonest just in order to gain what he wanted. We read these stories and we see that Jacob, he manipulates things and he cheats and he lies to get what benefits him. And so even you look at Jacob's name. Now in the Bible, names oftentimes have meanings behind them. They're not just general generic names like you just chose a name out of the name book. There's a meaning behind the name and and Jacob's name means cheater. Now I used to say when I was a kid, my name meant future professional athlete, Kevin. The, The issue is... You know, that five foot eight was just something I could never reach up to. And, you know, when, 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 when you're built and you're about 160 pounds, you know, professional uh, sports just wasn't in my picture. I, I would say that Kevin does mean handsome. I saw, Stop laughing. Jacob, his name means he's cheat. It means cheater. And so as you look at the story of, of Jacob's life, throughout his life, we see there's a pattern of Jacob and he's manipulating and he's lying, he's cheating and he's, and he's doing whatever he can to, to get ahead. And we see that in the trail of his life, you see a ton of broken relationships. There's a broken relationship with his brother. There's a broken relationship with his dad. There's a broken relationship with his uncle. And this is the Jacob that we see. Jacob has, uh, Jacob was born um, to, to uh, Isaac and Rebekah, and he had a twin brother that was born with him. And when Rebekah was pregnant, she, she was having just a really difficult pregnancy. And it was just, you know, she felt like, man, something's going on inside of me. And so she inquired of the Lord and said, God, why am I suffering so much in this pregnancy? And God revealed to her, hey, you're suffering because you've got twins inside your womb. And these twins, these twins, they're fighting inside of your womb. 
Now, some of you parents would say, man, my kids are like three years apart, but I think they were fighting from that age. And Jacob and Esau, they're fighting in the womb. And God says, your, your twins, these brothers, they're going to fight their entire lifetime. In fact, your sons are going to become a great, each become a different great nation. And they're going to continue to fight with each other their entire lives. And, and so, and so the time came for Rebekah to give birth. And the firstborn, his name was Esau. And he came out and he was covered in hair, in red hair. Kind of like he was wearing like a, like a red garment. And, uh, and his heel, when he was being born, was clasped by the hand of Jacob, the secondborn. The twins grew up and they were very different, very different personalities. Jacob, the Bible says, was a quiet man, staying among the tents, and he was his mother's favorite. But Esau, the firstborn, he was a skillful hunter. He was a, he was a man of the country. He was a man's man. He was his father's favorite. And there's, there's three stories in the Bible that kind of tell you about Jacob's life. The first story was... Uh, Jacob uh, was, was home and he was making stew one day. Again, you know, Esau's the guy that wants to be out in the field and kind of do the manly things. And Jacob's, you know, hanging out in the, in the kitchen. And he's making a stew. And, and Esau goes out one day to go hunting. And, and he comes back in and he's been gone all day. And he's just dying of hunger. He's like, man, I'm so hungry. I can barely contain myself. And, and, and so Jacob says, well, hey, I've got some stew. I've got some soup here. And, uh, and Esau says, hey, can I have a bowl of that? And Jacob says, well, what's it worth to you? What's it worth to, isn't that what brothers do, right? You got something that your brother wants. And so Jacob says, hey, you know, sell me your birthright. Now, the birthright was a double portion that, that Esau would have received by being the firstborn son. It was his because he was the firstborn. And Esau says, all right, I'm so hungry. You know what? Here, you can have my birthright. Give me a bowl of stew. First story, Jacob doing whatever he can to get ahead. The second story. Isaac, their dad, he's, he's old. He's in his old age and he's, and he's losing his sight. He can't really see very well, you know. He's going blind. And he knows, hey, I'm, I'm going to be dying pretty soon. So he says, hey, Esau, I want to I give you a blessing. I want to bless you. This was a big deal. And so he said, here's what I want you to do, Esau. I want you to go out. I want you to go kill me a deer. I want you to go kill me a wild animal. And I want you to cook my favorite meal for me. Must have been bacon. That's mine. Sorry. I don't know what it was. It was probably something good. He said, go kill me a wild animal and bring me my favorite meal. And when you come back, we'll eat together. And then I'll bless you. The issue was Rebecca overheard this. And Rebecca told, told Jacob, hey, Jacob, here's what I want you to do. Jacob, you need to go. Uh, uh, this is what's going to happen. God, your dad wants to bless Esau. And Esau goes out to go hunting. And, and Jacob says, okay, I got this. And so Jacob goes out to the freezer and pulls out a couple of pieces of pork and, and thaws them out. And says, hey, mom, why don't you make my favorite meal? And, and Jacob goes and he puts on uh, this, uh, this fur, puts fur on his arm and on his neck. And he puts on his brother's clothes. He puts on Esau's clothes. And he goes in and, and he has this meal and he says, hey, dad, I'm here. And, and, and Isaac says, well, you sound like Jacob. You know, what, what, what do you mean? I, there's no way you've already killed the animal and came back. And, and he says, well, no, it's me. You, here, go and feel my, feel my arm. Remember, Esau was a hairy guy. He was a manly man. And so Isaac goes out and feels Jacob's arm and he feels that that, that animal skin. He says, yeah, you know, it is you. And you know, and you smell, you know, you smell like your brother because he was wearing his brother's clothes. And so Isaac there blesses and gives the blessing to Jacob. What do you think happened when Esau came back? Yep, another broken relationship. Esau was was, was extremely angry and he said, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill my brother Jacob because you stole my blessing. And so Jacob does what any of us would do. He ran away. 
And he ran to his uncle Laban's house. And there at his uncle Laban's house, he works for his Laban and he marries, he marries his two cousins. Uh, there's a couple issues with that. Number one, guys, don't marry your cousin. I think it's illegal. And number two, guys, one's enough. One, one wife, just focus on one wife because two, uh, you know, I, I'm not sure about that. And so Jacob goes and he marries his two cousins, uh, Leah and Rachel. And it's a great thing. And then he begins to manipulate his Uncle Laban. And he kind of tricks his Uncle Laban to give him a bunch of animals and a bunch of wealth. And so Jacob's here, and Laban hears what goes on. And again, you've got another broken relationship. And this is where we pick up in Genesis 32. Um, Jacob, he's got another broken relationship. And, and God says, hey, Jacob, here's what you need to do now. You need to go back home. You need to go back to the land of your father. And so Jacob realizes, man, if I'm going to go back home, I'm going to have to go meet up with my brother Esau. And the last time I talked to Esau, he said, I'm going to kill you 20 years ago. You know, I don't know if he's, he's, he's calmed down. I don't know if he's forgiven me yet or not. So Jacob is, makes his way back to go and see his brother Esau. And that's where our story picks up today. So we're going we're gonna to look and we're going to see how this manipulator, this cheater, this liar, this guy, Jacob, who has all these broken relationships everywhere he goes because he's such a jerk face. We're going to see that God can take a guy like this and God can completely change him from the inside out. And in this story, we're going to look and we're going to see there's a, a four-step process that God uses to change Jacob. And these are four steps that I think apply for us as well. When we ask that question of, can I really change? So Genesis chapter 32, and um, I'm going to start in verse 22. It says, the same night, he arose and took his two wives, his female servants and his 11 children, and he crossed the ford uh, of, Je- of the Jabbok. And he took them and he sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. And when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket. And Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go for the day is broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And then he said, your, no, your name should no longer be Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. And then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said to him, why is it that you ask my name? And there the man blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen the God, for I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is in the, on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip and the sinew of the thigh. And that is God's word for us today. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for this opportunity to gather together and to deal with these questions, God. And I pray that as we, we are trying to grow into a deeper understanding of you and a deeper relationship with you, Lord, I pray that you would give us a great understanding for who you are. I pray, Lord, that we would hear your word today. And, and we wouldn't just hear the pastor, but we'd hear you speak to us through your word. We thank you for this opportunity, Lord. I pray that the story of Jacob and, and wrestling with God would be something that would bring deep change to our lives. Lord, I pray for every one of us in here today who are seeking change, Lord, that you would do it today. We love you and praise you, and we ask your blessing on our time together. In your name, amen. So, phase one. What's the first step 
that God uses to change us. Look at verses 24 to 25. And it says, And Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. And when he saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. You see, the first thing that God does when he wants to change us is oftentimes he starts with a crisis. Oftentimes, God starts with a crisis. See, verse, we read this story, and verse 28 tells us that it was actually God who was wrestling with Jacob in this story. Now, I don't know what your picture of wrestling is. I don't know what your picture of the story is. But I took my, my older two boys camping a couple years ago, and we read the story, and I said, boys, what do you picture? You know, it says, it says, Jacob was wrestling with this man. What are you picturing? And they're like, man, I picture kind of like that, that old WWF, you know, that fake wrestling, you know. And, you know, maybe a little bit of UFC tied in, and maybe the Three Stooges and, and Kung Fu Panda. And they're like, yeah, I totally picture, like, top rope jumps and, and submission holds and eye gouges and, and all that good stuff. And this, you, the reality is this is a real wrestling match here. This is, they're really going after it now the point of wrestling is to defeat your opponent the point of wrestling is to completely defeat the opponent to 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 and here in genesis 32 this is a real genuine fight and it says they lasted all night long until daybreak so this fight this wrestling match lasted all night until the day broke and, 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 and what ended up happening is after the man realized, hey, I'm having a hard time with this guy, Jacob, he touched the hip socket of Jacob and put Jacob's hip out of place. Now, when I was in high school, I was a wrestler, and, and, and we, we had a pretty good team. And there was a guy that was on our wrestling team, and he was one of the best in the state. He was a great wrestler. And the issue was, is earlier in that fall, he was in a wrestling match, and, and his, 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 his shoulder had come out of socket. And he had some major shoulder issues. And so it took this guy, uh, went through physical therapy, and he's trying to get his shoulder back. And the season started, and, and he couldn't wrestle. And so, uh, so it finally got to the point that the doctor said, okay, I think you can go back. You need to ease yourself back into wrestling. And so uh, I was on the varsity wrestling team, and, and they let this guy have a JV match. They thought, you know, he's a good wrestler. This will be a warm-up. It'll kind of get him into shape. And so the, I remember the varsity, we were up behind the gymnasium, kind of in this, this room by ourselves, and we're trying to get psyched up and ready for the wrestling match. And he was down wrestling with the JV. And we're up there getting ready, and we hear this loud shriek. And we, Eisenhower High School, if you can picture their old gymnasium, uh, this shriek filled the entire gym. He was wrestling and his shoulder got put out of socket again. And, and there was so much pain through that shoulder getting put out of socket and getting maneuvered that his, I still remember it to this day. And every time I think about it, I cringe because of how loud that pain of what he felt was. You see, this hip was a debilitating injury. This hip going out of socket was a debilitating injury. And this was one of those things where Jacob's wrestling all night long and he's tired and he's weak and he says, I can't do any more. And then he has this injury and he must have felt like this is just something I can't, I can't win. This is a no-win situation. Question I have for you is what are you wrestling with today? What are you wrestling with this week? What is the problem in your life that you're struggling with and you're just tired, you're sick and tired, and you're sick of tired of being sick and tired? What is that weight that you've been carrying, that you've been fighting with, that you've been wrestling with? What is the crisis in your life? Maybe it's an internal struggle and you feel like you're just being torn apart on the inside. 
Maybe it's a struggle in a relationship. And you feel that relationship, it's just strained and it's ripped. And it's causing so much pain. What are you wrestling with this week? Have you ever considered the fact that maybe it's God behind those circumstances? That maybe God is behind that problem, that crisis, that difficulty, that irritation. Maybe it's God behind that. See, the point is that God often uses crisis to get our attention. God often allows us to go through crisis so he can get our attention. See, it's the only way that that God oftentimes can get through to our hard heads. He has to. And he uses crisis to get our attention. Are you in a crisis today? Are you in a crisis right now? Praise God. Because God's getting ready to change you. See, there's a... When I was a kid growing up, you know, we, we didn't have a lot of money growing up. I was a single family, um, a single mom. She would do, did her best to take care of us. And I remember she bought me these one pair of shoes and I loved them. I wanted these pair of shoes that were a cross between a tennis shoe and a hiking shoe. I thought that was the coolest kind of shoe ever. You know, I thought, you know, as a, as a, as a, as a young boy, you can do everything in those shoes. So I, my mom got these me shoes... And, you know, I'd been wearing them. I was kind of wearing them through. You know, and as a boy, you use your shoes for everything. You know, you use your shoes to, to, climb, to climb trees and to jump off swing sets. And, and you use your shoes to, to beat your brakes on your bike. Well, you don't really use your brakes. You just put your foot down. And, and, and so my shoes, after all this time, they, they began really falling apart. And, in fact, I remember fall hit and it started to rain. And, and I would I'd wear my shoes to school and I'd come in. I remember some of the kids started making fun of me. They're like, yeah, Kevin, because you've got holes in your shoes, every time you take a step, there's a watermark. You know, they used to say, Kevin, you're kind of like the Pope. And I'm like, what do you mean? And they're like, you've got holy shoes, you know. These are the most religious shoes ever. And, and I remember to the point I came home and I was in tears because the kids were making fun of me. And my mom said, what's going on? And I said, my shoes, mom. My shoes. I didn't want to tell my mom that we, she needed to buy me new shoes because I knew there wasn't much money. And it, it, why is it that it takes the rings to come before we'll re- really be ready to do anything about our problems? Why is it we wait until the rain and the storms come before we're ready to change? You see, finally, a crisis came, comes up and you finally, you gave up. See, the point is that we never change until the pain becomes greater than the fear of change. We don't change on our own until that pain becomes greater than our fear of change. My story of my shoes, I had a fear of asking my mom to go buy new shoes because I knew we didn't have the money. And I was afraid of of what my mom would feel, what my mom would have to go through. And it wasn't until that pain uh, I was going through was greater than than the fear of change. God brings crisis into your life. God loves you just the way you are, but God loves you too much to let you stay that way. And oftentimes, when there's a crisis, when there's a difficulty in our life, God is doing it because he's getting ready to change us. And if a crisis of what it is, is what it takes, then you can count on it that God will use it for our best. Look at verse 26 with me. Then he said, the man that's wrestling with Jacob, he said, let me go for the day is broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. You see, if we want to experience change, the second thing that we need is we need a commitment. We need a commitment. See, Jacob's attitude here is persistence. Jacob is determined. He's going to stick with it. He's going to fight it out. He's not going to quit. 
He's basically saying to God, he's basically saying, God, I'm sticking with this struggle until I benefit from it. I want something good out of all the struggle that I've put into this. The fact is that God does use crisis to get our attention. But even after God's gotten our attention, he doesn't solve our problems immediately. He waits for a while. Why does God do that? Why does God oftentimes wait when we're in that crisis to, to, to change our circumstance? I think because God wants, waits to see, to resolve the problem because he wants to see if we really mean business. Am I serious about change or is this just some passing whim that I'm going to work through and be done with in a week? You see, the normal reaction to our weaknesses and to problems in our lives is that we run away from them. When we have an issue that comes up, when we have a strained relationship, when we have a problem, we run away from them. We get out of the situation, we leave, we quit. That's what Jacob's done his whole life. Every time there's been a difficulty, every time there's been an issue, he's ran away from it. He ran away from the broken relationship with his brother. He ran away from the issues with his uncle. But here God's saying, let's see how committed you are. See, many people miss God's best because they give up too soon. Many of us will miss God's best because when the going gets hard, we say, I'm going to give up. This is too much, and I quit. The answer oftentimes is right around the corner. We're great starters, but man, we don't like to finish. I mean, how many of you in the last 12 months have started a physical fitness program? Don't raise your hand. (laughs) How many of you are still in that same physical fitness program? Again, you know, we're supposed to be honest in church. I think I've started three physical fitness programs in the last year, and I need to get ready to start my fourth. I mean, we're, 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 we're great starters, but we're not great finishers. You know, we live in a microwave society where we want instant change, and we want it now. And if God doesn't solve our problems overnight, then forget it, man. I'm moving on. God doesn't have the answer. I cannot change. See, where's the commitment? You see, first comes the crisis, and then comes the commitment. Am I going to stick with it? Listen, don't give up, because the answer oftentimes is just around the corner. Jacob, he said, I'm committed to this struggle, and I'm not going to give up until God turns this this burden into a blessing. He says, I'm not going to give up. Yes, we want change, and yes, God wants to change us, but it takes time. But the reality is it took years for us. It took years for us to get into our messes that we're in now. It took, all of our issues didn't develop overnight. It took years of bad choices and mistakes. And we have these ingrained patterns and habits and ways of reacting and ways of responding within our minds. And we say, man, I just want to overnight change. But usually God, as he changes us, he has to begin to pull back the layers and work bit by bit. And that takes commitment. That's why Paul, the Apostle Paul, wrote in the New Testament in Galatians chapter 6. He said, let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. See, God's saying, hang in there. Be committed to get, to, to be committed and do not give up. There is hope. We are able to change, but don't give up. This message today is an encouraging message. If God could change Jacob, then he certainly can change us. Do not give up. Look at verse 27. And he said to him, what is your name? And Jacob said, my name is Jacob. You see, number three for us this morning is you see confession. 
See, why did God ask Jacob his name? God knows everything. God knew his name. God knew who he was wrestling with. Why did God ask Jacob his name? Because God wanted to see if Jacob would, would admit who he really was. Again, we've said that your name, your name has meaning behind it in Bible times. And so Jacob, when he said, my name is Jacob, he acknowledged, you know what? I am Jacob, the cheater. I am Jacob, the manipulator. It was a label for Jacob. And when he answered Jacob, he acknowledged, yes, I am this person. You see, 20 years before, Jacob comes into Esau, or comes into Isaac, and, and Isaac, his dad, says, who are you? And Jacob lied and said, I'm Esau. And then Isaac gave him the blessing. And now God asks him that same question, who are you? And Jacob confesses. He says, I'm Jacob. I, I, this was an act of confession. It was a reminder of all the people that he had hurt, of all the heartache that he had caused, of all the problems that had been the results of all of Jacob's hangups and all of Jacob's issues. He confesses and says, I am Jacob. See, if you and I were asked that same question, who are you? How would you respond? Well, we, we like to put a positive spin on ourselves. Well, you know, I'm, I'm really not that bad of a person. You know, I, I'm a lot better than that person over there. You know, we say, well, well, it's not my fault I'm like this. I was, I, it's the way I was raised. Well, it's not my fault I'm like this. It's my wife's fault or it's my boss's fault. And that's why I act the way I do. It's not my fault. We like to put a positive spin on it. But no, God asks us this question, who are you? And you know what Jacob does? Jacob takes off the masks. He takes off the facades. He takes off the, the, the feeling good about myself, and he says, I'm Jacob, the manipulator. I'm Jacob, the cheater. Who are you? I'm Jacob. I'm the pornographer. I'm Jacob. I'm the alcoholic. I'm Jacob. I'm the guy who won't submit to authority. I'm Jacob. I'm the cheating husband. I'm Jacob. I'm the wife who doesn't respect her husband. I'm Jacob. I'm the dishonest employee. I'm Jacob. I'm the disobedient child. I'm Jacob, the pathological liar. I'm Jacob, the worrier. The worrier. I'm Jacob, the gossiper. Who are you? Are you willing to be open and confess that to who you are? Who are you? Jacob, the what? The lesson is, is that we will never be able to change our weaknesses until we first admit them. We will never be able to change our weaknesses until we first admit them. And oftentimes we have to admit those weaknesses first to ourselves. We have to admit to ourselves that we're broken. And then we have to confess that to God. And then oftentimes we need to confess that to somebody else, to someone that we trust as well. And that's difficult. But the fact is, God won't work in our problems until we admit that we have one. God will not change your problem until you admit that you have one. And see, when you come to God and you admit you have a problem, he's not surprised. He already knows. He knows everything about our lives. He's not shocked. When we come and say, hey, God, you know, I have a problem in my life. He's not shocked. He's not surprised. He knows it. He just wants you and I to know it as well. See, step three is we have to come face to face with God. And not just with God, but we have to come face to face with ourselves as well. What is my name? What am I really like? Because until we have, until we admit that we have a problem, God can't help us. 
See, it's humbling to admit that we have a weakness. It's hard to do because it requires that we be humble. But that's good. James chapter 4, verse 6 says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. See, grace is a power to change. If you want to change, you can't change until you get grace. And if you want grace, you have to be humble. And how do you be humble? You be humble by acknowledging your weaknesses. See, I find that the people who are most honest, who are most open, who are most transparent, those are the healthiest people I know. They are the, also the people who are changing the most in this life because they've got it out in the open so that they can deal with it. See, and I'm praying that here at Restoration Church that we would be a place of unconditional acceptance. The reality is we're all struggling. No one here is perfect. We are all in need of grace so that God can change us. Look at verse 28 and 29. Then he said, Your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him and said, Please tell me your name. But he said, Why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. See, number four for us today, the fourth thing that God does when he's changing us, he needs cooperation. Step four is cooperation. The moment that Jacob began admitting who he was and began to cooperate with God, he began to change. Jacob called this place Peniel, which means the face of God. You see, Jacob came face to face with God. All of us are going to have to do that someday. We can run away from God for the rest of our lives. But eventually, at some point, we're going to have to come face to face with God. Why not do that today? Why not come face to face with Him today? God is not out to get us. You know, sometimes we have this picture of God being this this mean guy who's coming out. Oh, you're wrong, you're wrong. God is our friend, not our enemy. God came to save us, not to scare us. Sometimes we have to come face to face with ourselves first. And when we do, God says, okay, now I can get down to business in your life. We can start working on those character defects, those faults that we both want change. And God says, relax and cooperate with me, and I will make the changes that we both want. And God told Jacob, God said, I will bless you. You see, God wants to bless you and I too, just like he blessed Jacob. See, the first thing that God did for Jacob is God gave him a new name, a new identity. He said, your name is no longer going to be Jacob. It's going to be Israel. Remember, we said Jacob means the cheater and the the manipulator and the swindler and the crook and the jerk face and all those things. And Israel has two different meanings, uh, a double meaning. The first meaning for Israel is he who struggles with God. And that's true. Jacob struggled with God. But it also means prince of God. And Jacob is, and God is saying, you are no longer Jacob the crook. You're no longer Jacob the, the, the cheater. You're no longer Jacob the manipulator. You are now Israel, the prince of God. See, God does his deepest work inside of us in our identities. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says that if we come to faith in Christ, that we become a new creation, that the old man, the old Jacob, the, the, the Jacob the liar, the Jacob the manipulator, that person is put to death. And the new person, the Israel, the new man has come, the prince of God. And, and Jacob is no longer known as a manipulator. He's known as a prince of God. 
God changed Jacob's name. From that point, Jacob was a different person. The entire nation of Israel is named after Israel, was named after this guy. God changed his whole identity. And God has the ability to do the same thing in you and I. And it starts right there at the cross. You see, when Jesus went to the cross, Jesus said, hey, all those things, all that stuff that Jacob did, the lying, the cheating, the manipulating, Jesus says, I took that on myself, and I'm going to be that for you. And, and he gives us something different. He gives us his righteousness. And there at the cross, Jesus said, I'm taking this from you. You're no longer going to be Jacob, the manipulator, the liar, the cheater. You're now known for my righteousness. And, and, and God gave Jacob a new identity at that point. You're no longer Jacob. Now you are Israel, the prince of God. Verse 31 says, the sun rose upon him as he passed Peniel, limping because of his hip. You see, the interesting result of this all-night wrestling match was that while they were wrestling, God had dislocated Jacob's hip, and his thigh was damaged as a, as a result of this experience. And, and it said for the rest of Jacob's life, he walked with a limp. For the rest of his life, he had a limp. Why is that significant? Why did God put that in there? You see, this is a reminder of two very important truths that we need to be reminded of you and I need to be reminded of. And this was God's way of reminding Jacob of this. See, in the first place, your thigh is the most powerful muscle in your entire body. It, is the, it has the most strength over any other muscle in your body. And when God touched Jacob at his greatest point of strength, it was a reminder to Jacob constantly as he limped throughout the rest of his life. It was a reminder to Jacob that he was to depend on God and not on his own strength. It was a reminder that he was to depend on God and not on his own strength. This was God's way of reminding him. Your greatest strength is no longer your greatest strength. Your strength comes from me. It comes from a dependence on me. You can't depend on yourself. If we want to experience change, we can't depend on ourselves. We must depend on on God and not our own strength to work out the changes. The reality is willpower does not work. Willpower does not work. It creates tension in your life. See, the thing that we resist often persists. The thing that we resist often persists. Because when we're trying to change ourselves and, and we keep thinking about this thing that we're trying to change, what's on our mind the entire time? That exact thing that we're trying to change. And what we resist often persists. That's why God said, he says, I'm going to touch you at the point of your greatest strength so that from now on, you can't walk on your own strength. You're going to walk and you're going to depend on me. And if we want to experience change, it's not because of our strength, it's because of God's strength. It's because we rely and we depend on God to bring about the change that we need inside of us. And as we look at Jacob's life previously, we know that every time that Jacob got in trouble, he ran away. Every time he had an issue, he ran from it. Whatever the situation, whatever the trouble, he split. He took off. He quit. And God said, I know how to fix that temptation. I'll just put a limp in his walk so he can never run again. And Jacob had a limp for the rest of his life. It was a reminder to Jacob that it is never, it is never God's will for us to run away from a personal problem. Running doesn't solve it. Running away never solves a problem. 
You see, if we've got a problem in our character, if we've got a defect, when we try and hide it, when we try to ignore it, when we, do, when we try to deny it's really there, that's when we're trying to run away from it. We're trying to run from it and say, you know, I don't have to deal with this. I'm going to run. I'm going to deny it. I'm going to hide it. So I don't have to deal with this defect within me, with this issue that I have. God said we never solve our problems by running away from them. Jacob, from this point forward, he no longer stood in his own power, but he stood in God's power, and that made him stronger. See, the lesson of Jacob, you do not have to stay the same. You can't change. If God can change a guy like Jacob, then God can change every one of us. One of my favorite verses in the Bible comes from Romans chapter 9, and it says, Jacob have I loved. God loved Jacob, and he named a nation after the guy. And if God can love a guy like Jacob, if God can love a guy with all of his hangups, with all of his issues, with all of his problems, if God can love a guy like that, then he can love you, and he can love me. Even with all of our hangups, even with all of our issues. Let me ask you, which of these four steps are you in this morning? Which of these represents your life and where you are right now? Are you in crisis? Has God been trying to get your attention? Have you been wrestling with a situation or a relationship or an issue? Have you been wrestling with it for weeks or months or maybe even years? It seems hopeless. It seems like a no-win situation. Maybe it's a major crisis, a maybe a, a shakeup, or maybe it's just a perpetual irritation, a frustration that you have to deal with. Maybe you feel like you're being torn apart and pulled in every different direction. You feel like you're like, Jacob, I've been struggling with this for such a long time. Have you ever looked behind the circumstance to see God? Because God wants to push us in a new direction. Because God wants to change us. It reminds us that we rarely change until the fear of change is exceeded by the pain. We won't change until we get desperate. We won't depend on God until we're point to the lowest depths. Sometimes you have to hit rock bottom because until that point we make excuses. We blame. We rationalize where we are. Are you in step two? Commitment? Have you made a commitment to stick with the struggle until God brings some good out of it? Until God turns that burden into a blessing? See, I used to think it was extremely arrogant for Jacob to say, I'm not going to let go of you until you bless me. Jacob is giving us a, a model of commitment. God's, making, God's giving us a model of what it looks like to commit to something. Right now, it may seem easier just to walk away from the job. It may seem easier to walk away from your marriage. You have all these issues. You have all these struggles and these trials. It may seem easier just to say, you know what, I'm done with it. I'm just going to walk away. But you better ask God before you make that decision. Because God oftentimes is ready to make the change and it's right around the corner. See, if you're walking from a problem that's really in you, you're taking it with you. You know, we think, well, you know, the issue that I have is not my fault. And, and, and we go somewhere else and we bring that same issue with us. And we still struggle with the same problems. We move from situation to situation to situation. And we bring the same problem with us because we're not dealing with it. Make a commitment to let God deal with it inside of you. Make a commitment to stay with it and to not give up. Ask God today for the staying power. Be committed and trust that God is bringing something, bringing a change inside of you. Step three. Maybe you're in step three today of confession. What 
is your name this morning? What weakness do you need to admit and confess? What problem do you need to face and realize that this thing is destroying your life? It's destroying your career. It's destroying your marriage. It's destroying your family. Are you willing to confess it? Maybe you need to say, God, I've got a drug problem. God, I've got a problem with alcohol. God, I'm a Christian, but I'm having problems with my temper. I'm, I'm stuck in pornography. I love to gossip. I'm unreliable. I, I, I worry about everything and I don't trust you. I'm depressed. I, I, I try and get even with people. What is it that you need to confess to God today? We won't change until we, we admit that we need the change. See, I'm praying that Restoration Church, that we would be a place <laughs> where, where we become a fellow, a, a haven of fellow strugglers, where there is an unconditional love an unconditional acceptance of people who come here because we all know that we're human people, human beings, and we struggle. Not one of us is perfect. And I pray that we would be a place where we can come and, and we can be a place of confession. You know what? I'm struggling. And instead of a condemnation, that there'd be love and support for people. I'm praying that that's what restoration would be. We're six months old today. Six months old this month. And my prayer is that we would be a place of unconditional acceptance. That you could come in and you can have emotional hangups. You can come in and not have everything put together. Because we will work on it together. And God will begin to change me just like he's changing you. <laughs> the heart of every problem always is a problem with the heart. And it's hard to drop the mask. And it's scary to, con- to be in confession. Because if I re- reveal who I really am, you don't like it, man, it's tough luck. But the thing is, if we want to change, we have to go through phase three. We have to confess. We have to confess. But I challenge you not to stay there. I challenge you to move on to phase four, cooperation. Take a step of faith and say, God, I want to cooperate with you. Ephesians 4, 22 it says, and to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self created after the likeness of God and the true righteousness and holiness. See, this is good news. This is good news. He's saying that we don't have to stay the same. We can change. God will, will, will put off our old self and will give us a, and create in us a new creation. See, psychologists say that your personality is created by the age four. Your personality is created by age four. That's what psychologists would say. But God changes patterns in your life. God can change, can bring, bring healing of memories. God can change your outlook. God is greater than anything we can imagine. He's greater than every issue within our lives. And if we just allow God, he will change us. Because God is in the business of changing lives. So let's cooperate with him and let's allow God to to work in our lives and to change us.